In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we heard in today's epistle reading, but this I say, he who sows sparingly will reap sparingly. It's an interesting reminder to us that the effort and the labors that we put into things will result in the outcome. I say this so often to our couples when they get married because there's this beautiful verse during the processional hymn of when the couple's supposed to be coming from the main doors of the church into the center of the church where they will be crowned. And it says, you shall eat of the fruit of your labors and happy shall you be. And I would always remind the couples that that means that the effort and the work you put into your marriage will directly result in the type of marriage that you have. If you put the work and the effort, then you will be greatly blessed many times beyond your labors. But to be successful in marriage, one must work at it. It is no different with our spiritual life. We get out of our spiritual life what we put into it. The great blessing is God blesses us so much beyond our own labors. It doesn't mean we can become lazy. But if we do our part, God will richly bless us in so many ways. Sometimes when I hear these words and they grate across my ears, that I come to church and I get nothing out of it. Well, the fact is we don't come to church to get something out. We come to church to give. We come to church to give praise and thanksgiving to God for all the great blessings that he has already given us. We have already gotten from God. Our task is to come to give thanksgiving. In today's epistle, we hear the same thing. And it's an analogy that farmers certainly would have understood. I don't think any of us here are farmers. None of us plant the harvest, the wheat, so that many can eat. But if you plant a little garden, you at least know that you will not get more plants than what you plant. The seeds or the plantings that you put into the ground is at most what you are going to get. And Paul means that by if you put only a few seeds, you will reap only a few plants and perhaps even less fruit. But if you plant in abundance, typically if you care for it and take care of it, the fruit of your labors will be great. And it's interesting because today's epistle we go back to the beginning of this chapter, we realize that St. Paul is talking about taking care of the ministers of the church, taking care of the bishops and the priests and the deacons precisely so they can do their work. Today, I don't want to focus on your taking care of me, but rather I want to focus on this particular phrase, that accordingly to how we plant, how we give, 
is how we will receive. And I want to speak about why we are called to give. You know, in this parish, certainly it's the same across Canada and the United States and perhaps the world. This parish is not unique in this. There are some who think it's the job of the priest to raise money for the parish and to ask. And others who cringe at the thought and think the priest should say nothing about money. I think both expressions are wrong. We are called to understand what God has taught us, what God has presented to us. It's interesting, one of the topics that Christ speaks about most in the scripture is money. Not because he wants money, but because he understands that the culture is so imbued with money, so tied up in earning money, so tied up in giving value to people based on their money, so tied up in thinking that our goal in life is to pursue happiness through money. None of that will happen. But our Lord speaks about it in a way of people understanding what they are called to do, what their life is supposed to be. So I'd like to focus a few moments precisely on this text and precisely on what it means to give. Our Lord says, but this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will reap bountifully. So let each one of us, this is a command from God, by the way, but Paul reiterates it. So let each one of us give his purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or out of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. One of the great benefactors of this church, Larry and Cookie. It's interesting that that is the phrase they chose to put on the plaque that we insisted be put there. They wanted no recognition for the work that they did on those front steps. But yet, they, this is the message they wanted to convey, because this is the message in their own hearts. But St. Paul reminds us of what God expects, that God loves a cheerful giver. So many of us, I remember Metropolitan Philip quietly saying to me so many times, he says, some people give from their heart and they give generously. Others give and they hang on to the dollar as though they never want to let go. And they give very grudgingly. And he reminded me of this verse. He says, they give without really wanting to go give. And they give by hanging on to it and they receive ultimately nothing in return. Because their heart is not where God calls them to be. Let us take a few moments to look at what God says and what Christ says in the Holy Scripture about how you and I to, are to give. You know, in the Old Testament, God commanded. He commanded that the first tenth of everyone's income be given to the temple. Why did he command the first tenth? Why did he say 
that from the very first of your harvest and your possessions, you are to give to the Lord one-tenth. God reminded the people of Israel, I have given you everything. God, I have given you everything, and all I ask back from you is one-tenth, so that the temple may exist and so that the people may be cared for. In the New Testament, it's interesting because these are the verses I want to share with you. So many people say the tithe is not part of the New Testament. It belongs to the old. In part, I will agree. Although our Lord said not one iota of the law will be abolished. So the tithe was never abolished. But the understanding of the tithe is abolished. In the Old Testament, the Jews were told they had to give a tenth because God knew they would not give. He knew their hearts. He knew that they would be stingy. In the New Testament, Christ opens our hearts and our minds to see all that God has done for us. We are no longer to be like the Jews in the wilderness whining and complaining that they don't have everything. But we are called to have an open heart and an open mind to see the beauty of all that has given, God has given us. And we are called to give with an open heart in response to thanksgiving for all that God has given to us. Our time is short, but let me take just a few minutes to read a few scriptural verses which I hope you will let settle in your heart because the priest should never have to ask you for money. You should give out of your love. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And it goes on to say, Jesus looked up and he saw the rich putting their gifts into the offering box, and he saw a poor widow put in two small copper coins. And he said, truly I say to you, this poor widow has put more than all of them, all of them referring to the rich, for they have all contributed out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty has put in all that she had to live on. That poor widow gave from her heart. She was thankful to God even though she was poor. She didn't give from the leftover money, but she didn't, she didn't calculate and say, well, if I give this to the church, then I can't have this. But rather, she gave out of her love. Our giving can be a measurement of our faith. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, the Lord commands, that there may be food in my house, meaning to the temple, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need, God tells us to trust him. He tells us to give without worrying about ourselves, but to give out of our love and out of our trust. We hear in the first letter of John, 
But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? You know, our Lord said, if you say you love me but you hate your brother, then you are a liar. This verse works the same. If you see the poor in need and are stingy and will not help, how can you say that God's love abides in you? And God is able to make all grace abound in you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abide in every good work. Giving is a matter of trusting God. Do we trust that God will give us all that is needful if we do our part? We don't test God in the sense of saying, I'll sit back and do nothing and see if you will take care of me. But I do my part. I do with the money what God has commanded us, to act in love with it, that it's simply a tool to do good not to store up our, in our barn, barn houses and to build beautiful things for us that we share with no one, but that we share with all. And I'll close with this last verse, and there are many in the scripture. If I give away all that I have and I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. We are reminded time and time again that Christianity is about our heart. It's not about calculations. It is about how much we love God and how much we love each other. And our Lord speaks about money often in the gospel, not to take money, but in order that people's hearts and minds may be open so that they are not slaves to money and greed and are destroyed in the end, but rather that they may use the abundance that God has blessed them with to have opportunities to shower their love upon others. And so we are called to do likewise. May our hearts and our minds be open to the will of God. May we act and live like sons and daughters of the living God as though we died in that font to the old Adam and rose to the new Adam who is Christ, filled with mercy, love, compassion, and generosity. May God bless you and be with you. Amen.